Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokens and toquettes and non-token lovers of liberty. It is Thursday, June 16th, 2016 and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world Welcome to the show, so glad you could be here Joining us in beautiful legal potland, Oregon, where there's some tiny bits of blue sky out there. Who knows? We might actually get summer here someday, and uh, summer is coming this weekend. Looking forward to that. Finally getting into the official summer season. I guess it's Monday is when summer kicks off, right? So uh, I'm here in beautiful legal potland. I was supposed to be in New York and then uh, San Francisco this week, but uh, those plans fell through. So here I am in beautiful legal potland. Still trying to find a way to make it to that NCIA event in Oakland next week. It's Monday through Wednesday. Uh, keeping, keeping my fingers crossed. I got people working on it for me. We'll see. I would really love to make it out to that event. And then just a, a quick note to the uh, listeners out there. Starting uh, this uh, a week from tomorrow, uh, which would be Friday the 24th, I'm out on vacation. I've got my annual or my semi-annual two-week vacation. I usually take vacations around 4th of July and around Christmas week, so that's coming up, believe it or not. So starting on the 24th, I will be off through the 4th of July weekend, uh, probably be back on the air the 5th or the 6th. We're still looking at that as far as when we'll come back on the air, but uh, during that time, I'm going to have some best of the Russ Belleville show uh, archives pulled up for you. We're going to put together some of my most interesting interviews over the past nine months uh, for you to listen to over those uh, couple of weeks. So uh, you'll still have something to listen to. It'll be old stuff, but repackaged. So you'll get like a whole bunch of really good interviews in one show. So check that out coming up starting on July 24th or June 24th, excuse me, uh, June 24th, leading up to uh, my parents, (laughs) my parents 50th wedding anniversary. And believe it or not, I uh, have been ordained as a minister to uh, to proceed uh, to uh, lead over their uh, wedding renewal. They're going to do a vow renewal. So I am now a ordained minister with the Universal Life Church. You can call me the Reverend Dr. Radical Russ. I guess. All right. So let's get to the show today. It is Thursday. So that means we're going to have a visit from one of our good friends at Law Enforcement Against Prohibition for our Cops Say Legalized Drug segment. We've got retired senior patrol officer Tim Johnson joining us from Hilliard, Ohio. So we'll talk to him about what's happening with medical marijuana in the state and his experience as a police officer on the front lines how he learned that we need to legalize all drugs. So that's coming up at half past the hour. Right after that, in the Radical Rant, I'm going to take aim at a new paper out from the Brookings Institute on the reframing of the marijuana debate. It takes a look at how we managed to break through the logjam of the 70s and 80s and get marijuana uh, medicalized and then legalized and how our opponents are reacting to that and changing their tactics and strategy and particularly their framing. And you know I love framing, so we're going to talk all about that coming up at the end of the show in the Radical Rant. 
Also on the show today, we've got time for some drug war data mining, and I'm going to show you using information from the treatment episode data set at the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Agency that medical marijuana hasn't done a damn thing to stop forced marijuana rehabs. We'll take a look at the data. And then uh, we've also got a behind the headlines segment where our good friend Paul Armentano, deputy director of Normal, has uh, listed out how absurd it is to keep marijuana in federal Schedule 1 and why rescheduling is not a good idea either. It needs to be descheduled. But all that comes after the Cannabis Radio News. we got headlines from L.A., Pennsylvania, Montana, California, New Jersey, and more when we return. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Maui Wowie, Acapulco Gold, California Kush. Our strains stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted, available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. Educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. And I'm here to clear up the myths about cannabis and burn them away with science. CannabisRadio.com presents a no-holds-barred platform that seeks to redefine and revolutionize the entire scope of the cannabis culture while opening the door for more to join the cannabis crusade. Dr. Kevin Hill. You can't ignore the fact that, like alcohol, most people who use don't have a problem. So I think that you need to think about policy in that way while educating people properly about marijuana. I think that's the way to go. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. Get the latest updates on the Russ Belleville Show by following Radical Russ on Twitter and liking the Russ Belleville Show on Facebook. With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. Covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, June 16th, 2016. 
Los Angeles, California. The first huge multinational corporation to jump into the marijuana market isn't the long-feared agri-giant Monsanto or tobacco company Altria. It's tech titan Microsoft. The Washington-based software and tech company has partnered with Kind Financial to acquire government contracts for Kind's seed-to-sale tracking software. Matt Cook, formerly with the Colorado Marijuana Enforcement Division, will serve as Kind's special advisor on government matters. Kind's software platform will host data on the Microsoft Cloud for Government, known as Azure. Referring to the cooperative agreement between Microsoft and Kind, Microsoft Director of Government Solutions Kimberly Nelson said, quote, Kind agreed that Azure Government is the only cloud platform designed to meet government standards for the closely regulated cannabis compliance platforms, end quote. Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. City Council discussed the possibility of marijuana decriminalization in Harrisburg during Wednesday night's meeting. Councilman Cornelius Johnson unveiled a proposal that goes even further than a decriminalization proposal floated by Mayor Eric Pappenfuse just four months ago. While Pappenfuse's proposal created a $100 civil fine for marijuana possession, it escalated that fine for subsequent offenses and mandated that a third strike revers back to a misdemeanor. Johnson's proposal would lower that fine to $75 and require that a third strike would only be a misdemeanor if it occurs within a five-year time frame. Johnson's proposal also decriminalizes paraphernalia, something Pappenfuse's proposal did not consider, which would mean many marijuana possession tickets would still earn paraphernalia misdemeanors. Johnson's proposal also raises the public toking fine to $150 to discourage public use. Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Philadelphia on Thursday became the first U.S. city to approve a tax on soft drinks. By a vote of 13 to 4, the Philadelphia City Council approved a 1.5 cent per ounce tax that will affect sodas and other sugary drinks, including teas, sports drinks, and energy drinks. Drinks exempt from the tax are those that are more than 50% fruit juice, vegetable juice, or milk, said Lauren Hitt, the communications director for the mayor's office. The tax is expected to raise $91 million annually and fund city projects, including pre-kindergarten expansion, the creation of community schools, and an investment in parks and recreation centers. The tax will raise the price of a two-liter soda bottle by about 50 cents. Sonoma County, California, police and DEA conducted raids against Absolute Extracts and CBD Guild, two of Northern California's most prominent manufacturers of medical cannabis oils. Santa Rosa police officials arrested Dennis Franklin Hunter, age 43, for felony manufacturing of a controlled substance. Hunter is being held on a $5 million bail because of his history of evading police, including four years on the lam for a previous pot production charge. The companies are accused of using illegal and hazardous production methods in violation of municipal codes. Nick Caston, a spokesperson for CBD Guild and Absolute Extracts, said their companies are collectives operating in compliance with all state laws. The CBD Guild's 34,000 square foot production facility uses supercritical CO2, not the butane they're accused of using in violation of California law. Trenton, New Jersey. The New Jersey Assembly has, by a 55 to 14 vote, approved the use of medical marijuana by those suffering from post-traumatic stress. There is a requirement that patients prove that other conventional therapies aren't working. A previous bill from April that would allow women to use medical marijuana to combat menstrual pain has languished in the Assembly. And Assembly Democrat Reed Gascoria has floated the idea that legalizing marijuana in Atlantic City could save that beleaguered city just as casino gambling saved it back in the 1970s. 
All these proposals face a daunting path in getting past the New Jersey Senate and then past the veto pen of Governor Chris Christie, who has vowed that he will never allow the medical marijuana program to expand or marijuana legalization to occur on his watch. Helena, Montana. The Montana Cannabis Industry Association is asking a district judge to further delay enforcement of a stringent new Montana medical marijuana restrictions that are to go into effect August 31st. The association on Tuesday filed a motion with Montana's first judicial district court in Helena for a stay. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, June 16th, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. How high do you like your profit margin? CannabisRadio.com The cannabis industry is growing. Business is booming. And as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. Today, it takes more than just being a good grower. Do you have the resources to market and handle this ever-changing business landscape? Let Canna Management Corporation help you grow your Canna business with our vast resources and experience to make your business a fully functional service company. Financial management, HR, sales, marketing, efficiency, and more. CMC has the experience and the expertise to improve your business and help you better meet the demands of your clients and customers. Call Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 415-269-8015. That's 415-269-8015. Or visit canna-management.com. Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Norman. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at NORML.org or call toll-free 888-67-NORMAL. This is Dan Michaels from DanMichaelsAudio.com, and you're listening to Radical Russ on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, we're taking a look at what I am calling the drug splainstream media. That is, we now have voices in the mainstream media that are very sympathetic to our point of view and cognizant of the fact, science, reason, and logic behind cannabis. We've seen this in the Washington Post, where Christopher Ingraham writes the Wonk blog column that many times has focused on the insanity of the drug war. We've also seen it in Time Magazine and Time Online with the inclusion of columns by Maya Salovitz, the author of Unbroken Brain and an expert in drugs and addiction. And now I'm very excited to announce the inclusion 
the inclusion of our third mainstream media voice, and that comes to us from thehill.com, which is the blog for the folks working inside the Beltway out there uh, on Capitol Hill and such. And the uh, writer is Normal's own Paul Armentano, the deputy director of Normal and one of the best educated people on marijuana policy and science. He begins now a regular column for The Hill and opens up today with his first column entitled Time to Remove Marijuana from the Controlled Substances Act. Notice that's remove it, not reschedule it. And he makes a point that the DEA has indicated in recent memorandums that they are imminently going to decide on a couple of petitions for the rescheduling of marijuana. Now, just quick background scheduling if you're new to the show. The Controlled Substances Act of 1970, which is America's drug law, breaks down drugs into five scheduled categories. Uh that have to do with how medical they are, how likely they are to be abused and so forth. Schedule five, the lowest going all the way up to schedule two. Those are the drugs that can be, be prescribed by doctors, but there are increasing restrictions. For example, schedule two drugs. You can't get your own refills. You have to go to the doctor for every refill. There's a limited number they can give you. The doctors are monitored for how many prescriptions of their, of those drugs they're giving and so forth. Okay. But Schedule 1, the one at the very top, are drugs that cannot be prescribed by doctors. They include LSD and PCP and peyote and magic mushrooms and and heroin is up there too, and cannabis. Cannabis and all of its biologically active components are Schedule 1 prohibited substances. And Schedule 1 says, one, the substance must possess a high potential for abuse, two, it must have no currently accepted medical use in the United States. And three, the substance must lack accepted safety for use under medical supervision. Now, we know that this is all bunk because there's two substances you can name right off the top of your head, alcohol and tobacco, that are not classified in any of the five schedules. In fact, they have their own federal designation, their own federal regulations that come under the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms. So they're not even in the Controlled Substances Act. So right at first blush, the idea that marijuana would be in there and uh, tobacco and alcohol wouldn't makes no sense whatsoever. But Paul continues to go on about the classification here. We have 26 states now and the District of Columbia that have statutory medical marijuana language. Now, Louisiana is dysfunctional, but it does at least have government recognition of medical marijuana. So the idea that there's no accepted medical use in the United States when a majority of the states containing a majority of the population recognize the medical use is just untenable. And as far as the accepted safety for use under medical supervision, clearly these people in the medical marijuana states are being supervised by doctors, even if it's California where it's the, just the slightest amount of supervision and seemingly able to use these substances safely. So there are a couple petitions. One was filed by a nurse practitioner in 2009. A second petition filed in 2011 by the then Washington state governor, Christine Gregoire, and the then Rhode Island governor, Lincoln Chafee. Uh, so those are the two petitions that DEA might respond to as far as whether they're going to deschedule or reschedule. Uh, and there's numerous petitions before that. Of course, Normal filed the first one in 1972, didn't get a hearing until 1986. 
1988, Francis Young said marijuana was the safest uh, therapeutically active substance known to man during that lawsuit. But in 1990, the DEA ignored his recommendations and maintained the illegality of marijuana. President Obama says that this is something Congress should do. Congress says this is something that the FDA and NIDA need to weigh in on. But the fact remains that the president right now could deschedule marijuana with just a stroke of the pen. Let's hope Obama does that in his last days. Maybe we should start at 420, right? (laughs) Marijuana reference. All right. Thanks, Homer. That uh, sound means that it's time for us to take a break. It's 20 after out there in the mountain time zone. So happy 420 to our friends in New Mexico and Montana, Wyoming, places where 420 is a little harder to celebrate than Denver, Colorado. But we hope you're celebrating nonetheless. We're back in just two minutes with some rehab stats. Seed to sale, clicks to conversions, and more. You're listening to the Cannabis Radio Network. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Previously on the Stoner Jesus Show. St. Paul's doing good work. It's my Greg here, Prune Tang. If I can use a medical term. Yes. <laughs> the New England Medical Journal. Oh, my That's God. That's right. Well, you can call me Dr. St. Paul now. Dr. St. Paul. I don't think I will. No. <laughs> <laughs> You wouldn't even qualify to be a vet. Oh, I'm a special kind of vet. I'll make him less lonely. The Stoner Jesus Show, live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at CannabisRadio.com and StonerJesus.net. Peace, bitches. The Russ Belleville Show reminds you to never smoke and drive impaired. Hang out for a while and share. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie's Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of the Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. 
Welcome everybody to the Drug War Data Mines. Today we are going to be taking a look at figures from the Substance Abuse Mental Health Data Archive, or SAMDA. This is part of the Substance Abuse Mental Health Services Administration, or SAMHSA. And you can follow along, if you like, by going to the internet. It's S-A-M-H-S-A, SAMHSA, S-A-M-H-S-A dot gov slash data. And that's where you can find a treasure trove of government information, surveys, and other data regarding uh, drug use, mental health, uh, drug rehabs, and so forth. Today, we're taking a look at data from what's called TEDS, the Treatment Episode Data Set, and particularly TEDS-A, which is the admission data. They also have TEDS-D, which is the discharge data. But we're going with TEDS-A, and TEDS-A reflects the data from all of the rehab entities out there that accept some sort of federal money and therefore they have to do federal reporting. So this is not all rehabs. Private rehabs may not be included in this data if they take no federal money. The last estimate I heard was this represents at least 58% of the rehabs out there. There's no reason to expect that the other rehabs data might be very much different, but again, I can't confirm because the private entities aren't required to report. But from what we get out of TEDS A, with my research today, I can come up with a very definitive statement, and that is medical marijuana has done nothing to stop the forced rehab of marijuana consumers. Now, this forced rehab I talk about is when you get busted with weed in an illegal state, you uh, usually end up getting some sort of probation, and sometimes that probation can come with uh, a sort of a rehab element whether it be inpatient or outpatient, and you are required to go to this rehab and required to submit to, you know, sometimes the 12 steps, which is kind of a pseudo-religious thing. It's not been scientifically proven to be any better than quitting cold turkey. And oftentimes required to submit to your analysis, drug tests, that, of course, make the drug testing providers more money, make the rehab providers more money, and so forth. So as I look at this data, the TEDS-A data, I decided to, to take a look at the reports from 1996 and 2012. So 1996 would be the data that was collected up through 1995, so it reflects data pre-medical marijuana. Then, collecting the data in 2012 gives us the information for pre-legalization, but post a whole lot of medical marijuana. So what have the differences been? The first thing I took a look at, were people that were referred to rehab for marijuana where marijuana was the only thing they were referred for. And, and this is done by uh, some variables. M-A-R-F-L-G, MAR flag, is positive if someone has checked in for marijuana. And there's another variable called num subs, which means number of substances. And I flag that for one, one substance. So MAR flag, yes, one substance would mean marijuana. And what we find is that there were 53,000 people referred to, mar referred to uh, drug treatment for marijuana. 53,000 in 1996. When we look at that data for 2012, there were 132,000 people referred simply for marijuana. So between 96 and 2012, we've seen it more than double the number of people that were forced or the number of people in rehab for marijuana alone. The other substances, though, didn't change much. In 1992, there were 634,000 people, almost 635,000 people 
that were reported for one drug that wasn't marijuana, some other drug that was not marijuana, 635,000. In 2012, 605,000. There are actually a few, uh, there were a little bit fewer people admitted for other drugs, just one drug, than admitted for marijuana. While marijuana doubled, the rest of the drugs stayed the same. So even though we've medicalized now 20, uh, by, the, by 2012, it was what, 18, 20 states? Even with all those medical marijuana laws, we got twice as many people going to rehab for marijuana, but the same number of people going to rehab for other drugs. Again, specifying just one drug, because a lot of these you can enter with two or three drugs. Could be alcohol and marijuana, could be marijuana, coke, and heroin, whatever. Another way to look at this is what sent the people to rehab? What made them end up in rehab? And what we find is in 1996, 53% of the people that went to rehab, I'm sorry, in 96, it was 54% of the people going to rehab were forced there by the criminal justice system because they had to go to a drug court or they got busted with weed. In 2012, that number's hardly budged. It's now 53%, so just about the same. And what it shows us is throughout the entire medical marijuana era, more than half the people in rehab for marijuana alone are there because they were forced there. And what we find is that they're not really that addicted to marijuana. Both in 96 and 2012, we find there was only about 20 to 22% of the people who went to rehab that were daily marijuana users. When it comes to the 2012 data, 36% of them had not smoked marijuana in a month before they went to rehab. Compare that to the other drugs. With the other drugs, 42% of the people in rehab for other drugs, 42% used it daily compared to 20% for marijuana. And 25% had not used it in a month compared to 36% for marijuana. Finally, you're much more likely if you are a marijuana consumer to have been to have been admitted by the criminal justice system or other referral sources than any other drug. It's time to stop forcing people into rehabs they don't need for their use of marijuana. We're back with Cops Say Legalized Drugs. Tim Johnson from Ohio when we return. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Every strain, every sale, every medical study. Keep it right here on the Cannabis Radio Network. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. It's time for Cannabis Facts about teen drug use from Robert Platchorn's TheSilverTour.org. This message is supported by our donors and Hemp, Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at HempInc.com. 
A recent survey by the U.S. Centers for Disease Control indicates that in states that have legalized medical marijuana, the rate of marijuana consumption among high school students has not increased. In fact, in legal states like Colorado, teen use has actually decreased significantly. It's simply no longer a big deal for teenagers in legal states. This was Cannabis Facts from the Silvertour.org, an educational nonprofit supported by our donors and Hemp Inc., a public company poised to lead America's hemp revolution at hempinc.com. This is the Russ Belleville Show, annoying Kevin Sabat since 2012. Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com. One of the most disturbing elements of the Prohibition War is how it's made police the enemy of otherwise law-abiding cannabis consumers. Fortunately, one group of police officers knows the futility of Prohibition and reaches out to educate the community and current law enforcement. Today, the Russ Belleville Show visits with another speaker from Law Enforcement Against Prohibition with one clear message. Cops say legalize drugs. Welcome back, everybody. 33 after the hour. Today in our Cops Say Legalized Drugs segment, we go to Ohio, where we're joined by retired senior patrol officer Tim Johnson out there in Hilliard. And Tim, how you doing? I'm doing fine, Russ. How are you doing tonight? Fantastic. Thanks for joining us here. And uh, I was told you're a retired senior patrol officer. Tell us about uh, your background. When did you start and for how long were you on the force? Um, after completing college uh, in the uh, early 80s, I actually got into law enforcement in the early 90s, and I retired approximately two years ago in 2014. Uh, my background involves uh, patrol functions, um, uh, undercover narcotics, uh, t- task force units from local to federal, um, community uh, relations, uh, field training officer, a variety of specialties I okay. was involved in. So you were involved uh, in law enforcement from, you know, before medical marijuana took off in California to after legalization happened in Colorado then? That's true. Okay. So uh, in your time working as a patrol officer and especially in the undercover uh, narcotics business, do you have any estimate on how many times or how many busts you made of cannabis uh Growers, sellers, consumers? Well, I can say I made too many um, from that perspective. Uh, to reflect real quick on one of my first arrests was of a 19-year-old boy smoking a joint in a uh, pavilion in a park one day. The outcome of that was uh, under the uh, de- decrim laws in Ohio that we presumed that existed. Uh, the individual, just for mere possession of a joint, ended up with a criminal charge in the court case. 
As a result of that, he lost his college tuition. He lost his driving privileges for a period of time. He also lost the part-time job he had. And that kind of led him. I, I kept track of the individual, and uh, that's when I realized that uh, the war on drugs, uh, that we were approaching it in the wrong aspects. So this, uh, and a lot of people who are listening, they may not know, but Ohio has the greatest decrim amount in the country at 100 grams of possession. So how did that end up becoming a, a criminal charge? Uh, once it gets into the court, uh, it's really up to the judge. Uh, hmm. The statutes are set as guidelines for the courts, for the judge, uh, for them to decide what the punishment and the penalties are going to be. Um, as a result, in this particular case, just the mere possession charge, he ended up with a uh, misdemeanor criminal charge oh. uh, rather than just the uh, uh, assumed that um, no, you know, uh, a minimal uh, fine amount and uh, no criminal record and then move on down the street. Unfortunately, that didn't happen for him. Yeah. How long ago was this case? Do you remember? I'm going to say... Uh, Probably in 1999. Wow. So, so what's it like then when you're working as a cop from 1999 on and continuing to make these busts of cannabis consumers and growers and sellers? But like, I, I know part of it must be, hey, I'm a cop. I don't write the laws. I got to obey. You know, I got to enforce the laws as they're written. But does it like inside just start to eat at you and start to make you feel any sort of guilt or regret? Uh, it definitely does, Russ. Uh, and a lot of times it is the officer's discretion out there, but discretion goes out the door when a fellow officer arrives for a backup right. or you have a supervisor on the scene with you or you're working, uh, you know, search warrants of that nature. Um, that discretion kind of goes out the door as a, you know, from a professional standard at that point, mm -hmm. what has to be done is the letter of the law. Um, rather than the spirit of the law. Yeah. So and, if you're uh, in a situation so where you're, uh, if you're in a situation where you're uh, approaching the 19 year old kid by yourself and he's got a joint, you might just take it from him, put it out, and send him on his way. But when your partner's there or the the supervisor's there, you gotta you know follow the letter of the law, right? That's true. Yeah. You're you're forced under uh, you know administrative pressures to uh, you know make decisions that may not be. You know, the best of your morals and values, but rather those, those that are set by uh, society. And, and of course, uh, you want to, I talk to cops every other week here, uh, ex-cops and prosecutors here on this show. And, you know, one of the jokes that we have is that, you know, you never had, you never got sent out to any brawl or domestic disturbance and found nothing but joints and bongs laying around. It was usually alcohol. Uh, does that, does that knowledge percolate up to the upper ranks? And if so, do they just ignore it because they know there's so much money involved in keeping marijuana criminal? Uh, I believe you're right on the on the mark there. That definitely rolls or goes uphill. Uh, the further you climb the ladder in the law enforcement career field, uh, the more adamant you are about following the letter of the law, uh, so that you can maintain that position. And it definitely, there is a lot of money involved in it. Uh, there are um, drug seizure funds that every department has. A lot of departments, especially smaller ones, rely on those drug seizure funds for uh, equipment for the department, uh, uniforms, continued education, and so forth. And uh, there is, uh, cannabis does provide quite a bit of a, a good flow of funds there for departments. So uh, in, in moving forward, uh, Ohio right now has uh, just passed a medical marijuana uh, law. And there was a lot of input from law enforcement about that, trying to make it as restrictive as possible. Uh, but do you think 
that that medical law might be, you know, changing some of law enforcement's attitudes in Ohio or, or not? Um, I can tell you for a fact that it's changing what it's doing is I call it the one percenter bill myself because of the lack of actual number of patients that's going to help. The problem with what's going to happen is not only do we still have the criminal statutes for possession or cultivation or distribution of a controlled scheduled one substance, now we'll have an additional uh, set of criminal statutes for a medicinal cannabis. And a lot of people don't, I guess they don't believe or understand that aspect of it. Um, that's how I look at what, what's being developed. And, of course, I did speak with several senators, several representatives, and brought that to their attentions. Um, however, you know, the bill did get passed, and uh, it is what it is. And they're in the process now of promulgating those new statutes that will come into use or into play in the future. As I looked at that uh, at that medical bill in in Ohio, and it finally passed with the ability of patients to get whole plant that is cannabis buds from a dispensary. They can't grow their own, but they can get it from a dispensary. But they can't be smoked, and that sounded to me like a law enforcement uh, uh, addition there, so that they could still bust people with a burnt joint or a marijuana pipe. Do, do you think that's what went down? Uh yeah, law enforcement played a very large part. Uh, there, there were a few that did come in and testify at uh, several of the different uh, steps of the hearings along the way. Uh, that was their concerns. Uh, well, I think one of their biggest concerns, and one of the chief deputies actually said it, that if uh, they're not allowed to smoke it anymore, that how are we? Allowed, how can we smell it? Uh, well, you can smell it even if it's not burnt. There's burnt cannabis and there's you know fresh cannabis. Yeah. Uh, the point with Ohio's law, they what they actually call it is uh, plant material. So it hasn't really, there's a great cloud there, whether or not it's actually at a dispensary, whether or not you're going to be able to get uh, the actual bud. And if so that happens, you will have to vaporize that. Yeah, yeah. And I suppose when uh, when people get their uh, their bud at home, they'll make sure to not smoke it with the same degree of diligence that they uh, uh, obey the for tobacco use only sign in the head shop. <laughs> I think I think people are probably going to smoke at home still. Uh, yeah. Uh, my, I'll give my personal perception on it. The, the bill has a, a point. Uh, there are a lot of children and a lot of adults that do need the medicine. It's just the way that the, the bill is written. It's, it's really enhanced the black market, in my opinion. Um, because it's so restrictive, it's biased and prejudiced towards the type of ailments that people will have. And then again, uh, the majority of people that are on those types of uh, medications for those ailments are on Medicare, Medicaid, some form of insurance. Well, the dispensaries don't cover that. Mm. So you have to pay cash out of pocket. And I see very uh, you know, high costs from other states from hundreds to thousands of dollars a month for the treatments for their medicinal cannabis, and I just can't see myself being a patient um, or a qualifying patient under the House Bill 523. Um, I myself, I don't believe I'll be able to afford those prices. Hmm. And so this is something you're looking at as a medical treatment for yourself? Yes, I am. Uh, that's a definite consideration, um, and we still are striving to, uh, you know, once the bill's actually in effect, uh, to start making amendments to it as soon as we can to uh, bring in some, you know, some real life realization to uh, what the reality of that bill is. 
Okay. Now, most famously, last year, Ohio had the chance to legalize marijuana, but it was a very flawed uh, initiative that uh, kind of set up a, an oligopoly of the original investors. It was soundly rejected by Ohio voters. But do you think they rejected it for the business aspect? Do you think that possibly they could be ready in Ohio to vote for legalization as soon as 2020? Uh, I believe they'll be voting next year for it. Uh, oh, really? There are movements out there now, and there are uh, bills that are, or, uh, not bills, but amendments that uh, have been approved by the Attorney General's office. There are organizations that are actively collecting signatures at this time for next year, and um, I don't, there's still an organization that has a chance to get it on this year if they continue with it. Um, we don't know at this point what they're going to do, but you know, we'll wait and see what's going to happen. All right, and uh, and you think the people could pass it? Um, I believe the people will because the the House bill, I believe, lifted a lot of the social stigma that is placed upon cannabis as uh, the reaper badness uh, attitude and perception of it. So I believe that can happen, and I do see it happening. I believe that last year. Um, the monopolistic thing, I really don't believe that played a part in it. I believe it was pro-cannabis against pro-cannabis that defeated that bill. And I think this year here there's uh, a, you know, a stronger chance for Ohio to come back. If not this November, November of 17, I could see them coming back with something on the ballot. Oh, I could. I'm really looking forward to that. We'd like to get Ohio in the legal category. Uh, we've been speaking with Tim Johnson, a retired senior patrol officer from the state of Ohio. He's a speaker with Law Enforcement Against Prohibition. The group is called Leap, and you can find them at leap.cc. They got speakers all around the country that'll show up to your Lions Club, your Rotary Club. Uh, I don't know. You, you do you do high school assemblies, college gigs too. Yes, we do. From schools clear up through the corporate ladder, we're available for all um, civic associations, uh, community organizations, business organizations, all levels of school. Um, we're well rehearsed in those. All right. Well, Tim, thank you so much for uh, all the work you did as a police officer, except the part about busting cannabis consumers. But at least you're making amends for that by being with Leap, and we appreciate that a lot. Certainly trying to do it. All right. Good luck to you, and good luck for the state of Ohio. Thanks, Russ, again. Please reach us at LeapCopsayLegalizedDrugs.com. That's right. com. Check it out. One of my favorite groups out there, one of the most important groups out there, fighting for our freedom. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll have time for the Radical Rant. We're taking a look at a paper from the Brookings Institute on the reframing of the marijuana debate. Important information you need to know to win the water cooler wars when we return. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. We have your smoking section right here. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. 
Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the hosts of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. You're listening to Radical Russ on the Russ Belleville Show. Don't want to spend money on a night out, but don't know what to do other than watching TV or playing video games? Consider playing guitar, bass, banjo, or mandolin. The instrument will give you hours of entertainment with friends with minimal expense. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. must wage what I have called total war against public enemy number one. I support a change in law to end federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. That marijuana, pot, grass, whatever you want to call it, is probably the most dangerous drug. Some think there won't be room for them in jail. We'll make room. I experimented with marijuana a time or two, and I didn't like it and didn't inhale. One major responsibility is to encourage people to use less drugs. Entirely legitimate topic uh, for debate. Radical Rant. Welcome back, everybody. Today in the Radical Rant, we want to talk a little bit about the reframing of the marijuana debate. And this comes to us from an interesting paper out of the Brookings Institute entitled, Bootleggers, Baptists, Bureaucrats, and Bongs, How Special Interests Will Shape Marijuana Legalization. And the authors, Philip Wallach and Jonathan Rauch, uh, examine how special interests are shaping legalization and regulation in the United States. It's an interesting paper, kind of takes us through some of the history, explaining how the original prohibition arguments were dominated by what they call an iron triangle of anti-legalization interests, moralists and public health advocates who believe marijuana use is wrong or harmful, commercial and gray markets with stakes in drug treatment and medical marijuana, and law enforcement and quasi-governmental entities whose budgets and missions are sustained by the war on drugs. In other words, the Baptists, bootleggers, and bureaucrats. Baptists being just a nice catch-all term doesn't mean necessarily just religious Baptists, but the moral angle. And so you think of it as a stool with three legs, right? So the three-legged stool of prohibition is the moral angle, the, the what about the children people, the just-say-no people, the drugs-are-bad people. 
And then you've got your commercial and gray market interests. So you got your black market growers, your cartels, and your in industries that make a month, make a buck on prohibition. So your, your drug rehabs, your drug testers, your prison guard unions, your police unions. And then the, the, uh, the bureaucrats that make their money again, that kind of bleeds over into the law enforcement side, but also, uh, the, uh, in the, you know, NIDA, DEA, FDA, and so forth. And so what they describe is how we broke through that, how we, were able to win uh, some reforms had to do with reframing. And the, and the problem that they identify is that when you look at the marijuana reform efforts of the seventies and eighties, uh, normal primarily, the efforts were all pro marijuana efforts in the sense that as a kind of a libertarian argument, it's my body, my choice. I can smoke pot if I want to, it enhances my life. Uh, it, it, it's something that shouldn't be restricted and so forth. And that couldn't break through the iron triangle. It couldn't break through the Baptists, bootleggers and bureaucrats. So the change comes in the 1990s with the reframing of the debates. And primarily what these authors argue is that the reframing of the debate went to, instead of the pros of marijuana use, we start to emphasize the harms of marijuana prohibition. Now, I've said this many times on the show that it's not so much that you got to sell that pot is good, you got to sell that prohibition is bad. It's going to be impossible to sell some people on the idea that marijuana is good, especially the Baptists, right? The Baptist side, the moral side, is never going to think marijuana use is good. So you have to come up with a greater evil for them to hate. And that's what. I believe medical marijuana did in the 1990s. I believe that what happened in the, in the framing shift there, and this is something I don't, didn't read a lot about from these authors. They, they put a lot of emphasis into the idea that we were, that marijuana policy project, drug policy Alliance and others were selling the idea that prohibition is bad, that there's harms from criminal prohibition, the criminal markets, the violence and so forth. But I think they gave short shrift to the effect of the framing of medical marijuana because the framing of medical marijuana also helped to topple that iron triangle of prohibitionists for the Baptist side. It, it tilted the table in our favor by conjuring up the compassion by evoking the compassion that religious and moral people tend to have. Right. To, and we used kind of a jujitsu on it. Right. The reason that the Baptist types say drugs are bad, just say no, the reason they, what about the children? The reason they have that attitude is out of an altruistic want to help, to want to prevent bad things from happening. They're trying to be helpful to society. So with medical marijuana, we flipped their compassion on them. We said, how could you not be compassionate enough to help a cancer patient ease their pain, to help an epileptic kid stop seizing, to help uh, someone in chronic pain get some relief. And it, and it became kind of, if you can think of it as a, as a scale, they had to weigh how much good they thought they were doing by stopping adults from wanting to smoke pot for fun 
versus how much good they would be doing if they helped cancer patients, AIDS patients, epileptics, people with glaucoma, and so forth. And that, I believe, is what finally tilted that three-legged stool. It took the Baptists out. It took out the moral problem with supporting a marijuana reform. As for the bootleggers, Baptist bootleggers and bureaucrats, as for the bootleggers, the people who have the uh, uh, ulterior motives, you might say, for wanting to maintain prohibition, we were able to take out some of them as well. Not the rehabs, not the prison guards, not those type of people, but at least the growers and sellers who'd been operating on the black market could be enticed to support a medical marijuana reform that would create a legal market for what it is they're doing. So we attacked two of the three areas that the uh, prohibitionists had been using successfully to deny us. And that, I believe, is a large reason why the, the framing of medical marijuana needs to get a little more attention in this paper. Now, the next point they make is how our opponents now are starting to reframe for themselves as well. Because they've lost that moral high ground of trying to protect society. We were able to flip that on them by showing how marijuana prohibition harms society. So now they're trying to flip it back. And the paper does a good job of, uh, of telling us about Project SAM, Smart Approaches to Marijuana, the Kevin Sabet Anti-Pot Legalization Group, which has learned through trial and error that the only message they've really got that resonates anymore is the idea of corporate predation. The idea that big marijuana is going to be created and there's going to be these big marijuana corporations that have regulatory capture. They're able to set their own rules and have their own watchdogs. And then they'll go about trying to addict youngsters and lie about the harmfulness of their products and so forth. And one of the genius moves of this is that normally marijuana uh, reforms are supported by people of a progressive bent, especially people that aren't necessarily pot smokers themselves, but there are more progressive types. And for them, there's a natural deep-seated distrust of big corporate power. So it's kind of a, a shrewd move to try to use a, a sort of rhetorical jujitsu to turn just like we turned the Baptists and their compassion for the sick and dying against them, they're turning to our progressives, our hippy-dippy types, and using their fear of big corporations against us. So that's the next, the next big framing battle that we've got. And, and like I said, this was learned through trial and error. Kevin Sabet threw out five or six different uh, attack lines throughout 2012 and 2013 just to see which ones would stick there's a whole bunch of them that didn't stick he tried to sell the line that uh the tax revenue benefits from legalizing marijuana wouldn't be all they were promised to be because the social costs would outweigh the taxes well we've raised 121 million dollars in taxes nobody has seen even 121 million dollars worth of social harms he's tried the oh marijuana legalization would send the wrong message to the children and that's gone out the window because the last three different federal surveys have shown that even though the kids are getting the message that marijuana is safe and something that uh, adults should be able to use, they are not using it any more than they had been. And in some cases, some demographics are using it less. 
So they tried all of these different. Oh, and another one he tried was the marijuana isn't really medicine. You know, we don't smoke opium to get the benefits of pain relief. We have morphine. Why would we smoke marijuana? He tried that line, too. That one's gone away because now 80 to 90 percent of the United States believes that marijuana is medical. It's a great paper. It's up at brookings.edu. I'm sure if you just search for bootleggers, baptists, and bureaucrats, you can read all about it. That's all the time we got for Hour 1. Thanks for joining us, and stay tuned for Hour 2, Toker Talk Radio. We'll talk about the news of the day, what's happening all around the country in marijuana reform and other politics. Got some interesting things on Governor Gary Johnson to tell you about. Get you an update on the Jill Stein campaign. And, of course, Bernie Sanders is speaking on a live webcast later today. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, take care of each other, Tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down super. It's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Or you can toke. I am here. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can talk and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So, by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Potland, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right, welcome back, tokers and tokets and non-toking lovers of liberty. So glad to have you here on Hour 2 of the Russ Belleville Show. It's Toker Talk Radio, where you can toke, you can talk, you can talk about toke, you can toke while you talk. But you don't have to talk about toke, we can talk about anything you want to talk about. Just give me a call, 971-533-7111, but only for the next uh, few days. So um, I got onto my Skype today to uh, do the call out for uh, 
the uh, Cop Say Legalized Drug segment. And my Skype said, oh, you're, you're, you've expired. You need to sign back up. You need to ex- give us money. <laughs> I'm like, oh, crap. So I, I got it all plugged in and got the money and everything. Got it all set up and made the call, obviously. But in doing so, I learned that my phone number, 971-533-7111, expired as well. And it doesn't look like I can get back my original phone number. I can't get back my 971-533-7111. And that's kind of bumming me out because I've had it for, God, five, six years now for the show. (laughs) I just... I'm a little upset. So um, now I'm going through Skype and trying to find a new number. And once I do that, uh, I'll have to try my damnedest not to say the old number. Because, you know, when you do these radio shows, you get used to saying certain things and you just say them, you know, out of habit. So I'm trying to get a phone number that ends with Rad Russ, R-A-D-R-U-S-S, which is 723-7877. And if we can get that, that would be really cool. Uh, I'm looking through all of the area codes in the United States, <laughs> trying to find that. And so far, no luck. Most of, the, most of the numbers you get through Skype have zeros in them. And, of course, zeros are no good for coming up with words. So we'll keep looking. I've made it all the way through the California area codes. We'll, uh, we'll keep looking see what we can do as far as that goes. Coming up here in uh, hour two, got all sorts of interesting things to talk about here. We're continue on that uh, bootleggers and Baptists and bureaucrats uh, report that's out from the uh, Brookings Institute. Very, very interesting. We got some updates on Eugene Monroe, the uh, NFL player who was uh, dropped by the uh, uh, Baltimore Ravens ostensibly for his support of medical marijuana. Uh, and looks like he's going to get picked up by the New York Giants, and the coach from the Giants doesn't seem to have a problem with that, so we're looking uh, about that. Uh, There's another uh, paper out from Brookings. Uh, One of the same authors from the first paper, Jonathan Rauch, but this time joined by John Hudak. John's been a guest on our show a number of times, and the paper's entitled, Worry About Bad Marijuana, Not Big Marijuana. So we'll talk a little bit about that report as well. Sounds very interesting. There's a new museum in Oakland uh, that uh, people can take a look at called Altered State Marijuana in California. Uh, California Normal's Dale Geringer, a part of that, will tell you all about what's happening there. And we'll get more updates on what's happening with the, uh, the bus that happened in California on uh, CBD Guild and the Absolute Extracts. Find out what's happening there. Santa Rosa Police busting them. And again, we'll take your calls on our number while it still exists. 971-533-7111. It's Hour 2, Toker Talk Radio, live from beautiful legal potland, Oregon. I'm Radical Russ. We're going to take a break, pay some bills. Give us two minutes. We'll be right back with more. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Earn your Ph.D. in THC monetization. 
with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. Educator, author, and advocate, Dr. Mitch Earlywine is here to tackle the burning issues. Author Catherine Hiller and her great new book, Just Say Yes, Marijuana Memoir. So I love the way you use time in the memoir. I started at the present time and I described a visit to my dealer. And then I would go backward in time so that every chapter starts a little bit earlier. I do not feel that marijuana has in any way harmed my life. It certainly hasn't led me to the streets. It's led me to a more joyful life experience. Burning Issues, only on CannabisRadio.com. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Christian convictions are under attack as never before. Okay, maybe you're high too. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. Hello, Mr. Man. Hi. I'm doing, I'm, I'm working. I'm sorry. No food till this is done. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. Nine after the hour here from beautiful legal potland, Oregon. And I want to continue this discussion about big marijuana. So again, that's the talking point that we get from Kevin Sabet and the Project Sam people. Because all the rest of their talking points have been blown out of the water. What about the children doesn't work anymore? Because last three federal data sets have shown that the kids aren't smoking anymore. They're smoking somewhat less. Even though their perception of risk has gone down and their approval of marijuana has gone up, their use hasn't gone up. Now, I've always argued that there's really not anywhere for kids' use to go since they've already got the access. (laughs) They already know someone who deals weed. 91% of the time, or actually 40, it's 44% of kids in school know their school dealer. 44% of them know the school dealer. And 91% of the time that school dealer is selling weed. Only 6% of the time is that school dealer selling cigarettes. Only 1% of the time is that school dealer selling alcohol. And when we ask the kids the high school seniors for the past 45 years or 40 years for the past 40 years, we've asked them if you wanted to score a bag, how easy to, how easy would it be? And between 80 and 91% of them had said easy or fairly easy. So I've always argued there's no way legalization could make it easier for kids. They got it as easy as they could ask for. 
But this uh, what about the children talking point is gone. This stoned mayhem on the freeway talking point is starting to evaporate. It's not gone entirely. But I think it was a huge victory for our movement when the first two states that legalized passed with some sort of per se or presumptive nanogram limit on driving. Colorado's is presumptive. It says if you're caught with five nanograms, you're too stoned, but you can argue against it. And the per se in Washington says if you're caught with five nanograms, you're guilty. You're too stoned and you can't argue against it. You're just too stoned, right? That five nanograms, of course, has no bearing in science whatsoever, has nothing to do with whether or not you're too impaired. But those two states picked a number. And then in the next states that legalized in 2014, Alaska and Oregon purposefully did not pick a number and resisted the attempts from law enforcement and and legislators that argued strenuously for some sort of number. Now, Oregon's law did put in a thing of, well, we'll let the state study it and come up with a recommendation, which was a trick on our part because we know if there's any sort of fair and scientific evaluation of it, our side wins. Because THC is fat-soluble, it doesn't correlate very well to impairment, yada, 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 right? So the fact that the next two states that legalized didn't have a per se, and the next five that are trying to legalize, California, Arizona, Nevada, Maine, and Massachusetts, don't have any sort of per se limit added to theirs. Now, to be fair, Nevada already has a per se DUID for uh, marijuana. It's, uh, I think, two nanograms in Nevada. And I think Arizona is a no-tolerance state already, but medical marijuana patients are exempt if, they, uh, if it's just metabolites. So those two states don't include any bad driving language because they've already got bad driving language. But at least they didn't add it in Maine, Massachusetts, or California. So the SMOF is gone, Stone Mayhem on the freeways. Watsy is gone. What about the children? The Sabbat conjecture is gone. That's the one where Kevin Sabet used to say uh, that, well, for every $1 that you take in in alcohol and tobacco taxes, it costs $10 in social costs. Well, that one went away as soon as we brought in $100 million in marijuana taxes and he couldn't find a billion dollars worth of social costs. So all of the talking points and the other talking point, the other Project Sam talking point is uh, uh, scare quotes medical marijuana, right? It's not really medical. Oh, Sure. The constituents of the plant itself, when isolated and patented and put into a barcoded prescription bottle with a 10% mark, 10,000% markup, those could be medical. But those same constituents that come in the plant, you can grow for yourself at low cost. Those can't be medical at all. You know, like how vitamin C, when it comes in a chewable gummy, Why, that's nutritious, but if you get vitamin C by eating an orange, it has no effect whatsoever. That's the logic. That's the logic of saying that pot is not medical, but Sativex is. It's the same logic train, and no one's buying that one either. No one's buying that one when they see a a, a person who's got tremors and stuttering uh, and seizures smokes a doobie and then immediately starts talking calmly and unbrokenly. They've seen too many of these Sanjay Gupta weed specials. They've seen too many of the number of specials on 
Nat Geo and CNN and CNBC and all these other stations where they've learned that, hey, I can see someone using that product, even smoking it. Ooh, the big bad joint smoking. Ooh, dirty. Even that, though, they can see people do it and see immediate relief, immediate results. So the scare quotes medical marijuana doesn't work anymore either. See, you lost Smoff, you lost Watsy, you lost the Sabet, Sabet conjecture, Sabet conjecture. I keep mispronouncing that. And you've lost the scare quotes medical marijuana. The only point the prohibitionists have left is the fear of big marijuana. Oh, big marijuana. It's going to be big corporations that, you know, create jobs and inject money into local economies and pay taxes and obey regulations and solve their disputes in court. Oh, no, big marijuana. But we can't dismiss it. Can't dismiss this scare. We need to put it to rest. And the way we put it to rest is by having our our corporations, our companies, be shining examples of how to do this stuff right, of how to be good corporations. And, and a couple of things that puncture the a couple of things that puncture this whole idea of big marijuana. Number one is that marijuana is still federally illegal. It's still schedule one. As long as it's schedule one, there can't be interstate commerce in this thing. That's why all these companies that have that have grown large, you know, Harborside Health Center, uh, uh, River Rock, Colorado, Dixie Elixirs. There's a lot of them. There's a lot of these companies that have gotten, gotten pretty big, but only big in their state. When Dixie wants to market its stuff in Washington state, it has to set up a whole separate company in Washington state and license its stuff. It can't just be the same company in two states or that's interstate commerce. And then they got a federal problem. So the schedule one federal prohibition on marijuana, in a sense, is kind of having a protective effect, an insular uh, insulating effect for our burgeoning marijuana businesses that can only be regulated at the state level. So this gives us a whole bunch of state level players in the business. Now, there's talk about, you know, descheduling marijuana. We could take marijuana off the schedules, but that comes at a cost. If we take marijuana off the Controlled Substance Act, if it's no longer a controlled substance, then where does it go? A lot of people have talked about maybe it goes to the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms, and Explosives, and they just add a C for cannabis or an M for marijuana, right? Alcohol, tobacco, marijuana, firearms, and explosives, whatever it might be. But that runs some risks because alcohol and tobacco, legal substances that are dominated by major corporations, Altria, which used to be Philip Morris, right? Uh, On the cigarette side, you've got um, um, on the alcohol side, of course, Budweiser, Coors, Miller, right? Now, even in the worst case scenario, from our perspective as consumers, that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I live in Portland, Oregon, and Budweiser, Coors, and Miller are still sold in every store and every bar, but there's also a place right across the street where they've got 45 different taps of, of uh, craft brews and craft ciders. It's right across the street from where I'm at. Growler, guys, it's called. 
And there's numbers of places like that in Portland where you can get all you can get are local craft brews from the Pacific Northwest. So even in the world of Budweiser, Miller and Coors, there's still a world for the craft brewer. And I don't think marijuana is going to be any different, even if Altria got involved and started making Marlboro joints. Those could sell. That'd be fine. You know, mass produced mid grade joints. Great. But that's not going to stop people from wanting to buy the finer hand trimmed organic kick ass bud from the Pacific Northwest. And that's worst case scenario. I think in a best case scenario, we deschedule marijuana, turn it over to a federal bureau of alcohol, tobacco, firearms, explosives and cannabis. And then at the federal level, they set up rules that say, in essence, that marijuana legalization and regulation still is left up to the states. Kind of, you know, uh, 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 buttress what's happening right now. You know, just kind of just let that continue. Let let the regulations happen at the state level. Now, I don't know how much the feds could do as far as present, preventing any of these companies from being interstate, though. So I think once the product's legal and once commerce in it is legal, any sort of, you know, preventing, say, Dixie Elixirs from, you know, selling their products in California and Washington and other legal states, I think would run into some restraint of trade sort of uh, regulations. I'm not sure about that. That's beyond my pay grade. But these are things we need to consider in this big marijuana argument because it's the only thing they got left. I can't do reefer comedy. I'm drunk. Two different animals. (laughs) All right, folks, it's 420 here in beautiful legal potland, Oregon, and all across the Pacific time zone. Thanks for joining us for the show. We're going to take a break, pay some bills. We'll be back in just two minutes after this important safety briefing. Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry, one podcast at a time. The Cannabis Radio Network. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct! Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's orders. Less heat, (laughs) more flavor. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. You're not high. You're listening to The Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. I also believe we need a fence. The problem is if El Chapo builds a tunnel under the fence, we have to be able to deal with that, too. Okay. Maybe you're high, too. 
The Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest growing business association in the fastest growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel One on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. I have a package here for Radical Rick. Is there a Radical Rick here? How about a Rick Russ? Any any Rick Russ? Somebody named Freddie Barack has sent him a package. Anybody? What is that? Sounds like a stuff. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. All right, welcome back, everybody. Time for us to talk about something off the warpath. We do this uh, every now and then. Although I, I do think this has some tangential reference to marijuana because of the way marijuana ends up getting taxed. And so uh, this refers back to the city of Philadelphia. We covered this in hour one in the news. How the city of Philadelphia has passed a soda tax. Uh, it's a tax of 1.5 cents per ounce. So that ends up being about 50 cents a liter. <laughs> That's right. So uh, 1.5 cents per ounce, 50 cents per liter uh, of drink. So a two liter bottle of soda, two liter bottle is going to cost a buck more. And uh, they bring this up because... Um, we got to save the people from getting too fat. According to the uh, standards here, or according to the statistics, in Philadelphia, more than 68% of adults and 41% of children are overweight or obese. And this passed with a 13 to 4 uh, vote in the city council. Now, when I had been reading about this, the last I'd heard about this tax is it was going to apply not just to sugared uh, drinks, but also artificially sweetened soft drinks. And in fact, I'm just confirming here on CNN money that yes, it does apply to diet soda. What is the point? Now, if you're trying to give me the excuse that you're going to tax soda because the people are too fat, why are you adding the tax to diet soda? This is going to add, according to CNN money, 18 cents to the cost of a can of soda. So they're going to, you know, bump it up to a quarter when you get it out of the vending machine because they're not going to take pennies. A buck oh eight for a six pack and a buck oh two for a two liter bottle. Add an extra buck to diet sodas as well. And this is already on top of 8% sales tax that they've got in Pennsylvania. Now, at least it's only half of what they had proposed. The mayor had proposed a three cents tax. He would have added two bucks to the cost of a two liter bottle of soda. Now the tax goes into effect on January 1st. It's uh, estimated to raise $91 million a year. And um, this is, here's what's, uh, uh, there's so many problems with this to me. The number one problem is taxing the diet Cokes. You're taxing the diet stuff. But the number two thing that bothers me 
is that this tax will not apply. Now, it'll apply to sugared sodas, diet sodas, tea, sports drinks, energy drinks. But it's not going to apply to any drink that's 50% or more fruit juice, any drink that's vegetable juice, or any drink that's milk. And I presume it's not applied to beer, right? <laughs> and we, yeah, you want to fight obesity, <laughs> put a tax on beer, right? I, I shouldn't say that because they've already got extra taxes on beer. Let's stick to the subject here. So you're going to tax an extra buck per two liters for someone that's going to buy a two liter bottle of Diet Coke that has zero calories. But if they bought an eight ounce bottle of Mott's 100% original apple juice, 100% juice, no extra tax on that, but it comes with 120 calories and 28 grams of sugar. 28 grams of sugar in the apple juice, no tax. Zero grams of sugar in the Diet Coke, 1.5 cent per ounce tax. How about uh, chocolate milk? What are we looking at uh, for the the calories, chocolate milk? Oh, 209 calories from, from one cup of chocolate milk. One cup. Let's see, one ounce, 26 times eight. Bring up our calculator here. Do we want to keep it all in eight ounces? I don't know how many cups, eight ounces, how many cups, because I do metric. So, yeah, 208. A cup is eight ounces. All right, so 208 calories for a cup of chocolate milk. That one comes with, where's the sugars on this one? Doesn't show the sugars. Well, drat. (laughs) Anyway, 209 calories, no tax on the chocolate milk, zero calories from the Diet Coke, punitive tax. And the other thing that bothers me about this is saying that you want to tax sugary sodas to fight obesity is kind of a very narrow target to aim at, ain't it? If you're wanting to fight obesity, you would tax Big Macs and Hot Pockets and chocolate cake and all sorts of things that make people fat. Here's something I wish that they would think about. A lot of the reason people are buying two liter bottles of soda and drinking it up because oftentimes you can find a two liter bottle of soda for, you know, 70 cents, depending on, on these off brands and such. The goal shouldn't be to raise the price of the bad shit to force people to not buy it. The goal should be to lower the price of the good shit to incentivize people to buy it. I believe more in carrots than I believe in sticks Right? Let's not let's stop trying to syntax the things that are bad and instead perhaps subsidize the things that are good. Make the vegetable juices get a tax break instead of 
forcing the sh- the diet sodas to be taxed. You know, a lot of people, when when we get into these arguments, especially when I get into the uh, uh, food stamp arguments, when I get into the uh, SNAP benefits, you, know, you get those people that get upset that, oh, you know, America's the only country that's got fat, poor people. You know, it's that old argument of, you know, our poor people have iPads and TVs, blah, 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 right? And one of the reasons why our poor people are fat is because our poor people tend to live in food deserts and they tend to live near, you know, bodegas and convenience stores where they can get processed food and, and processed food is cheap. Pasta is cheap. Crackers are cheap. Bread is cheap. And you can buy all this processed food and, and be able to live on it on a budget, but it makes you fat. Whereas if they had access and uh, to affordable good food, fresh vegetables, fresh fruits, fresh seafood, if that stuff were affordable, more people would eat it. People, people aren't making these choices to eat the shitty fast food and the shitty processed food because they don't like fish or salad or green beans or whatever it might be. They're doing it because it's there, it's available, and it's cheap. Uh, So I just get frustrated by tax policies that are designed to punish people into doing the right thing. I'm, I'm upset with Obamacare for the same damn reason. I'm not upset about the results of Obamacare. I like that more people are insured. I like that kids can stay on their parents' insurance until they're 26 so they can you know, start a life. I like that they can't kick uh, people off of insurance for lifetime, you know, lifetime benefits running out and they can't deny insurance because people have pre-existing conditions and so forth. But at what cost did we get those concessions from the private healthcare insurers? The cost was for the first time ever in our country's history, the federal government we required its citizens to purchase a private product for the profit of a company. For the first time ever, the federal government forced its citizens to be customers of a private entity. That's not the kind of public-private cooperation I'm looking for. I don't need the government to force me to have to buy private insurance. Now, of course, this was done because... That was the only way to get the young people to sign up for insurance. And you got to have the young, healthy people to balance out the old, sick people who use up all the benefits, yada, yada, yada. But all that is just an argument for public health care. That's just an argument for the fact that we ought to all share the risk in our health care coverage. Just like we all share the risk in our fire coverage and our police coverage and our military coverage. We should all share the risk in our health care coverage. I mean, our Congress goes out of its way to block Medicare from negotiating as a group for lower prescription drug prices. So the cost of a pill that's, you know, $15 in India ends up being $15,000 in the United States. It's time that we start to recognize that some things are better done as a group, are better done as a country, as a nation, and healthcare is one of them. 
don't force me to have to buy health care just so that we can all share the risk. Let's just all share the risk. Don't punish me for not wanting to share the risk. Let's just make that the default. We all share the risk with Social Security. We all, when we get our Social Security number and we start working, money gets taken out of our check to plan for our future, even if we personally aren't a part of that future. You might start working at age 20 and die at age 50, and you might have paid into Social Security for 30 years, and you never see a dime of it. But we all recognize that it was better for us to all pool our interests together to protect all of us from the risk of being destitute and elderly in the streets. We recognize that was something that as a society was better for us all to tackle together than to leave up to the vagaries of the private market. Now, the private market's great. I love capitalism. I love free markets. But the thing about a free market is there's always a winner and a loser. At some level, somebody wins and somebody loses. Not everybody's business is successful. Not every person wins in capitalism. So when you look at whether something should be capitalized, something should be free market, you should look at what happens to the losers, not how good it makes things turn out for the winners. What does it, how does it leave the losers? Well, in the case of, let's say, car sales, the winners get to drive and the losers have to walk. It's not the worst outcome for the losers. But in the case of healthcare, the winners get to live and the losers get to die. That's not acceptable. All right, we're going to take a break. Got a few more bills to pay here. Make sure you check out our sponsors here on Cannabis Radio. and Let them know that you heard their ad on Cannabis Radio, and we'll get more ads and we'll make more shows. When we come back, we'll talk about Oakland's Marijuana Museum. And an update on Eugene Monroe from the NFL. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Next to THC and CBD, you can now add CBR to your cannabis vernacular. CBR as in CannabisRadio.com. The National Cannabis Industry Association presents the third annual Cannabis Business Summit and Expo. The most influential business event in the marijuana industry returns for three days in Oakland, California. Join your fellow industry leaders and policy influencers June 20th through 22nd for an in-depth educational experience and network with more than 3,000 cannabis professionals. The 2016 Cannabis Business Summit and Expo will feature keynote presentations from California Lieutenant Governor Gavin Newsom and Numi Organic Tea CEO Ahmed Rahim giving you insight into cutting-edge policy discussions and the most innovative business practices. All this plus the most comprehensive expo floor in the industry. The Cannabis Business Summit and Expo, June 20th through 22nd in Oakland. Don't miss out. Register right now at CannabisBusinessSummit.com and save 15% off registration using promo code RADIO15. That's CannabisBusinessSummit.com, promo code RADIO15.
chronicling the latest cannabis industry news and headlines. Well, with four states with tax and regulate and the District of Columbia. The state of cannabis. Oh my God, it's refreshing. We have people that generally wouldn't speak on behalf of cannabis for fear of retribution, fear of losing your practices, fear of of many of those things, and and find ourselves in in a a place that we finally can. Bringing you fact-based news and views and keeping listeners on the pulse of what's happening in the industry today. The State of Cannabis. On demand anytime, only on CannabisRadio.com. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, SoundCloud, Snapchat, LinkedIn, and Boise State University's 2400 baud modem bulletin board system from 1985. With over six years of experience in the industry, New Era CPAs is one of the nation's leading cannabis accounting firms, helping hundreds of growers, dispensaries, and ancillary companies with their tax, legal, and business strategies. New Era CPAs offices cover the West Coast from Seattle to San Diego, and their skilled team is always available to help you take your business to the next level. Visit NewEraCPAs.com for more info and set up a consultation. Welcome to the New Era. Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. Day. Just can't remember what it is. Why'd I come in here? This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. 39 after the hour. Quick update from the National Football League on the release of Baltimore Ravens offensive tackle Eugene Monroe. Now, Monroe has uh, made a point that his outspoken advocacy for medical cannabis, specifically that the NFL remove all testing for marijuana and allow its players to use medical cannabis in the states where it's legal, has been, according to Monroe, part of the reason why the Ravens got rid of him. He has said that the Ravens have been distancing them from his statements. And in a tweet today, Monroe says, quote, I will not be returning to the Ravens this season. It's never easy moving on. I love Baltimore and its fans, but this is all part of the game. Despite the current uncertainties, one thing is for sure. Whatever happens in terms of my professional football career, I will never stop pushing the league to accept medical cannabis as a viable option for pain management. I will do everything I can to ensure the generations of NFL players after me won't have to resort to harmful and addictive opioids as their only option for pain management. I've been working hard this offseason to recover from my injuries. I am cleared to play and excited to get back on the field and compete. So uh, he also told the Times, I can't say for sure whether or not my stance on medical cannabis was the reason the Ravens released me. However, as I've said in the past, they have distanced themselves from me and made it clear they do not support my advocacy. Now, uh, the, the coach of the Ravens, uh, John Harbaugh, on uh, being questioned about Monroe, said, quote, Football circumstances, 100% football circumstances, that's it. That's all it ever was. It's no reflection on Eugene Monroe in any way. It just has to do with the circumstances with the Ravens and that position. And he makes a point of saying that uh, the Ravens organization has allowed its players to have all sorts of opinions, pointing to 2012 when Matt Burke 
and Brendan Ian Badejo were clashing on the issue of gay marriage, Burke being against it and Ian Badejo being for it. So he says, you know, we've always been very forward thinking and uh, uh, we always allow people to be who they are, believe what they believe and stand up for what they believe in. End quote from John Harbaugh. Now, in further research on this story, one of the editors at uh, was it the paper there in uh, no one of the staff writers uh, for ESPN makes the case that it was not Eugene Monroe's stance on medical cannabis that got him cut. It was just the fact that he was a lousy deal for the Ravens. And so in this story, J- Jamison Hensley writes that uh, Eugene Monroe was cut just 27 months after the Ravens gave him $17.5 million. And in return, all they got in two seasons was 17 starts. So for those of you who don't know football, in a football season, you get 16 games a year plus four preseason games, but 16 games a year. So it should be 32 games. So he missed almost half the games that he was paid for. So that works out to about a million bucks per game he played. And so from a cost standpoint, that didn't make a lot of sense. And the reason why he missed so many games is he was oft injured. They uh, pointed out, pointed out that um, he had missed. Uh, he started and finished just three of his last 16 games. Uh, he'd had a uh, shoulder injury. He'd had uh, ankle injury, a few other different injuries, and had missed a number of games. And one of the big ones that he missed was a, a game in the middle of last season uh, playing against the then St. Louis Rams. And if you don't know football, he's an offensive tackle. So he's one of the guys that's blocking uh, on the outside against the big pass rushers that are trying to sack the quarterback. So it's a very important position being a, an offensive tackle because you're the guy who protects the multi-million dollar quarterback. So in this game, he got, uh, he got uh, injured. His uh, shoulder was injured. And when he left the game, the backup that they put in on the very next play gets pushed back into the quarterback and injures the quarterback's knee. Joe Flacco injures his knee and takes him out for the season. So from the Ravens point of view, they just had this offensive tackle. They couldn't trust that would be I either healthy or, or competent at the position or, and and too expensive for them. And so in April during the NFL draft, the Ravens used their number six pick overall. They were the sixth team to draft picked a offensive tackle from uh, Notre Dame named Ronnie Stanley. And so if Stanley is going to be the starter, then that would leave Eugene Monroe as the backup and it would cost six and a half million dollars in base salary to keep Eugene Monroe. And so that's why they got rid of him. So according to the writer, he says uh, the deal with Monroe will rank as the biggest disappointment in the team's 20 year existence. So that's the other side. Um, They're saying it's just a football decision has nothing to do. Now, I'm not going to say it has nothing to do, right? Like it's one of those deals where when they're making the football decision and they're making the money decisions, it doesn't help his case that he's standing so strongly for medical cannabis. They may have enough reason to fire him. 
uh, or well, essentially, yeah, fire him. They might have the reason to uh, for football reasons, but he, I don't think his medical cannabis advocacy was helping him any. All right, so let me go to this other story coming out of the Los Angeles Times, and it's talking about a new museum exhibit called Altered State Marijuana in California, and it's uh, it's a museum, the Oakland Museum of California, and it's one of the first marijuana museum uh, exhibits that we've ever reported on. Now, at the museum, they had Dale Gieringer. Dale Gieringer is the executive director of California Normal, and he's a co-author of Prop 215. And the story talks all about how the, uh, the exhibit shows uh, different aspects of marijuana, like spiritual ganja, learn about industrial hemp. They learn some of the history of uh, marijuana and its prohibition. And the uh, museum is open for all ages. He says uh, the people primarily attending the museum are older white women, average age 75. (laughs) That's very interesting. And um, very interesting discussion here. You can uh, take a look at it at the Los Angeles Times. One thing that was uh, interesting here from the, the responses is the uh, confessional that they have. And this confessional, they have people write down their confessions on uh, index cards. And one of them, one of the confessions says, weed has gotten too strong. It was way more fun when I, when one puff didn't render me stupid. (laughs) And uh, another one says, marijuana makes me desire my husband. Without it, I would pursue my love of women. Um, I, I don't think you should, uh, not pursue <laughs> talk to your husband about that uh he might want you to uh try that as well sounds like a fun weekend um so you can read like i said read about this in the los angeles times oakland museum's marijuana exhibit go ahead touch that bud and it's it's nice to think that we're gonna have um we're gonna have museums like this as we move forward in the future now, uh, in my chat room, by the way, we got a, lo- a live chat room here on Toker Talk Radio, and you can get into it through our Spreaker app on CannabisRadio.com. If you look at the play, the little player, there's a, something that looks like a kind of cartoon balloon. You click on that, and that'll get it into our chat room. And the uh, chat room, one of our chatters is saying, we should start a Losers and Quitters Fantasy Football League. Now, uh, I actually did this for a long time. I used to have the uh, pigskin potheads that I would run as an NFL fantasy team. And to get on the pigskin potheads, you had to have had some history with weed. Suspended for it, busted for it, known for smoking it, whatever. And I used to run this fantasy football league every year just to see how well would pot-smoking players do against non-pot-smoking players. And it was kind of fun and didn't do too well because a lot of these players would end up getting suspensions. But I stopped doing it because I've come to realize that it's really not fair or indicative of anything because lots of players are smoking weed out there. Tons of them are smoking weed. We just don't catch very many of them. So it started to make no sense to me because it was like, 
you know, all we're really doing is showing the people who got caught for weed versus the people who didn't get caught for weed. So I've stopped doing uh, doing that sort of fantasy football stuff. But and, and, and also, it used to be when a football player got busted for weed, it was a big deal. You know, Ricky Williams was known for smoking weed back in the mid-2000s, and everybody went, oh, my God. Now, you know, every other week you get some player busted for weed or in the, in the news for weed. So I don't think it has the uh, impact that it used to have uh, when I originally did that. All right, folks, we're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll wrap things up here on this fine Thursday afternoon. And I'm still crossing my fingers. I might be in Oakland next week. Don't know. We'll see. I'd really like to make it out to the National Cannabis Industry Association. You can help if you want to. You can always send me money. Uh, Our donations are through PayPal at paypal.me slash radicalrus. Paypal.me slash Radical Russ if you'd like to help the travel budget to make it down to Oakland next week. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Keep your cannabis cravings under control. Feed your mind with CannabisRadio.com. Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. Normal stands for Responsible Adult Cannabis Use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks are far less than those posed by legal drugs. The Russ Belleville Show. We're as much like Cheech and Chong as ordinary Americans are like the Three Stooges. Hey, Mo! Are you playing an acoustic guitar but want to be louder without an amp? Try a resonator guitar. The fingerboard extension has national resophonic and other resonators, square necks and round necks. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Go wild hog in the woods. Pod 2.0 It's not your father's Woodstock weed. This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everyone. 54 after the hour. Just closing up shop here at the Rush Belleville Show. And a quick note. 
tomorrow on the Russ Belleville Show, it will be show number 800. That's right, my 800th independent show as the Russ Belleville Show. I had done 908 shows with normal, so we're 108 shows away from breaking my own record. So show number 800, nothing special for show number 800, it's just show number 800. Kind of amazing. Four years, just about, uh, you know, the, our anniversary was June 4th. That was when this independent show started in 2012. So in four years, just about 200 shows a year. Not shabby, if you ask me. <laughs> so thank all of you for being a part of that and for uh, helping us out. Finally, I, I want to close with a shout out to my friends in New Jersey. And thinking about what may happen here as we move forward. You know, uh, Donald Trump has been holding Chris Christie kind of close to him as far as being perhaps a member of his transition team or, God forbid, attorney general (laughs) or even worse, vice presidential candidate. But Chris Christie has been in the orbit of uh, Donald Trump for a while now, and it opens up some thoughts. First of all, having Chris Christie at some national level helping to set who's going to run DOJ and drug policy would obviously be a disaster for us because he's one of the most batshit, crazy, rabid, reefer, madness prohibitionists out there. But there might be a silver lining in such a thing. And the silver lining would be that for the people of the state of New Jersey, you might get rid of that governor. And with Chris Christie out of the way, these proposals to add post-traumatic stress to your medical program, to add menstrual pain to your medical program, to possibly legalize marijuana in the state or in, the, in Atlantic City, save that uh, crumbling town, those proposals might have a chance of passing if Chris Christie were out of the way. Now, it'd be a, a terrible price the rest of the country would have to pay, and with Christie in charge of the national level, whatever they do at the state level in New Jersey might end up being moot anyway. (laughs) Christie might shut them all down. So I don't know. It's just something I was thinking about. Personally, I, I really don't think the Trump ticket has a chance. I really don't think Donald Trump can win the presidency. I don't think even with, uh, governor Johnson in the race. Uh, I don't think so. First of all, heads up, just Trump versus Clinton which it likely appears is going to be. But anyway, let's save that for another day. Uh, Trump versus Clinton. I don't see uh, Trump getting past Clinton. I just don't see it. There's too many women. There's too many uh, Hispanic voters. There's too many progressives, too many moderates even. Even moderate Republicans are talking about voting for Clinton because, well, she's a moderate Republican. So I don't see Trump getting elected president. Even in a situation if Gary Johnson starts taking off, I don't see it because you got to win 270 electoral votes, and I think Hillary can do that. But even if a three-way race ended up deadlocking the Electoral College, in that circumstance, the people that finish, the, the three highest finishers, I think, get determined by the House of Representatives. House is run by the Republicans. Does that mean Trump gets in? I don't think so. I think in that sort of situation, it's kind of all up in the air and they could the republicans could nominate paul ryan or somebody so i don't know this is the most interesting election season i've ever been a part of and i'll keep talking about it an hour or two 
that's all the time we got. So thanks for joining us. I'm Radical Russ from beautiful Legal Potland, Oregon. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it.